Well, I've got bad news. Uh-oh. Yeah, my wife has found another man. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing. I'll show you his picture. I found it. <laughs> now, look at that top picture. She said this is what he looks like after his nap. But look at that top picture. Don't you think that middle shot there can get anything he wants to in life? <laughs> Hey, uh, we're going to kick off our series, Faithbook, and uh, our church archaeologist has found an ancient uh, posting from Faithbook from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you know, of course, I'm kidding here, uh, from Babylon when the king king said you need to bow down to the idol. Read what they had to say. hear more of them in a moment. But this series, Faith Book, it's been, our text has been Psalm 46.1 that said, God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. I want you to say ever-present. In other words, whatever I face in life, whenever difficulty comes at me, God wants to be there to help me. I would tell you a lie if I said you'll never have problems as a Christian. You will. You'll have trouble and difficulty. Jesus even said it, but God said he wants to be with us. And I've been trying in a very practical series to help you face trouble. The first week we talked about a crisis. There's a biblical way to respond to a crisis. Second week we talked about trouble that lasts a long time, something you live with for years or decades. Last week we talked in a very personal way about discouragement. But this morning I want to talk about a different kind of trouble. I want to talk about being persecuted for our faith. I want to talk about the tension that we face when sometimes our Christian convictions are resisted by a secular culture. Uh, We're going to begin in Matthew 13, and this is kind of an introduction that I'm painting now. Matthew 13, Jesus told a parable, and I won't look at all of it, but a parable is an illustration. He takes something that happens in the natural world, the people, everyday world, they understand, and he brings a spiritual application. Well, this is called the parable of the sower, And God is the one who sows seed, and the seed is the Word of God. And there's four types of soil in this parable, which represents the hearts of people, how they respond to God's Word. And would you believe three out of four types of soil don't become fruitful in the Christian life? Three out of four literally end up kind of falling away from God. But here's one of those that actually fell away. Jesus said, a sower went out to sow. God is sowing those seeds of the Word. But some seeds fell on rocky ground. They didn't have much soil. Imagine a little dirt in your sidewalk and and a little plant comes up. Immediately it springs up, but it has no depth of soil. And the sun rose and they were scorched and they had no root. They withered away. And no root is a picture of a Christian that doesn't develop maturity, whose faith doesn't become deeper and stronger. They're very shallow. And then he explains it, verse 20. This is the one who hears the word of God and immediately receives it with joy. They're happy about Jesus, but they have no root. They only last a short time. How many know God wants me to live by Christian life the rest of my life? He wants to look at me one day and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But notice what it said. I want you to say this with me. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word of God, they quickly fall away. 
So when our convictions are tested, here's a question I'll ask you and I want you to ask yourself throughout the message. How, how strongly do I believe in what the Bible teaches? Uh, are my convictions strong enough to stand when opposition meets me? Now, I'm going to do, uh, this morning, I'm going to do a lot of teaching about our culture. I'm going to try to bring our culture and connect it to biblical truth. I want you to see what's happening to Christians across the world and in America in particular. And I'm going to talk about things that may be a little edgy this morning, but I want to get close to the world we live in and help you see it from a biblical perspective. Let's begin with a quick video of a coach that was praying after a football game. He didn't ask any kids to join him. It was no mandate to come. He even did it at times privately. But the school district said, you can't do that anymore. And uh, he lost his job, and his case is going to the Supreme Court. Take a look at a fellow Christian and what happened to them. A federal appeals court ruling it is unconstitutional for a high school football coach to pray on the field alone or with players after the games. Coach Joe Kennedy from Washington State lost his job back in 2015. School officials had warned him to stop praying, but he continued to take a knee and pray after games. The judges said he was acting as a public employee, not a private citizen, while he was praying. Therefore, his free speech rights were not protected. But Kennedy says he's not going down without a fight in courts. We need to fight for our freedoms. We need to fight for the things that are right in society and for America. I couldn't look myself in the mirror if I just gave up because this got tough. If this was an inconvenience, I wanted to be that example for him, and it ultimately cost me everything. Ultimately cost me everything. I was fired because I prayed. Now, look at a moment about the history of prayer in America. Public prayer has always been at the forefront of American public life, not just private life. James Madison, one of the founders, uh, referred to in his journals to a prayer by Benjamin Franklin when they had an impasse at the Constitutional Convention. Again, we're in America's early history. It's the Revolutionary War. It's, it's beyond that. We're trying to figure out these states, these colonies are trying to figure out a central governing document. They gave us what's called the Constitution, the long and lasting governing document in the history of the world. They produced, though these men were not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but how many know there are no perfect people? Uh, if we were to replace our founders with someone else in terms of our statues and our monuments, I don't know who to replace them with because there's no perfect people other than Jesus. There's not many Billy Grahams that have impeccable character. Are you with me today? Not many people that avoided scandal and didn't do uh, scurrious things throughout their life. But they were preparing, they were trying to develop a constitution, a governing document, and they were struggling. It had been days and nothing had happened. And here's what Madison wrote in his journal about Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin addressing these group of delegates. And the first sentence is a little archaic English. But he said, sir, we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights, talking to God, to illuminate our understanding. Here's what he's saying. Hey, guys, look, we've been talking for two or three days and we hadn't prayed once. Now, listen, it becomes very clear. In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Our prayers were heard and answered. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend talking about God? I've lived a long time, sir. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs that I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. This is a public official speaking. If a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice... 
Is it probable that an empire, think of America's greatness, can rise without his aid? He said, I move that prayers imploring the assistance of heaven be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. In other words, our founders said, before we try to figure out America's business, let's go to the God, come on, that set this thing up. So how in the world did we evolve? Now, I don't believe in evolution as the scientist teaches it, that we came from primordial ooze, but I do believe in the evolution of morality and religion in America from a place where God was held central in the fabric of the nation to now is a time where in many respects he's marginalized or, or pushed to the boundaries. We were founded on biblical principles, but powerful, powerful forces in America are trying to silence the right of religious freedom guaranteed by the Bill of Rights. The first right in the Bill of Rights that is called an inalienable right, a right that cannot be taken away, is the freedom of religion. It is why the early colonists came to America, not to rape and pillage the nation. They came for religious freedom. They were escaping the Church of England. They were escaping a state church. They were looking for a place of religious freedom when they came. And the freedom of religion is not just the freedom of worship. There's a push in America for a constitutional convention to rewrite the Constitution. And one of the ideas being floated is to replace freedom of religion with freedom of worship. Communist nations have freedom of worship, which means in a state church, in the four walls of the church, you can have your holy book and you can worship your so-called God. But freedom of religion is what happens in the public sphere. Freedom of religion is what happens at lunchtime. If I'm having lunch at Cracker Barrel, I bow my head and I pray and I thank God for my food. Freedom of religion is what a nurse has when she says to the hospital staff, I'm not going to participate in this abortion because I believe it's morally wrong. Freedom of religion uh, 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 allows us to bring God with us as we go. Uh, this is under attack in America today, and one day you and I may be pressured to violate our biblical convictions. And my question I'll ask you today is, what will we do? And I've entitled the message, I Will Not Bow, and I'd like to begin in my first point with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And my first point is simply this, violate your convictions or else. That was the edict that came across to these young men. Now the word conviction, conviction is a strong belief based on biblical truth. Now how many know everybody has strong beliefs? I guarantee if we were to take polls, I guarantee I could say some things that would alienate half of us. We'd be one against the other. Uh, we have strong beliefs on, uh, uh, for example, a, a, a wall, a border wall for immigration in the southern part of our nation. We have strong beliefs on that. We have strong beliefs whether marijuana should be legalized in every state of the union. We have strong beliefs on things, but what I'm talking about is a biblical belief. I'm talking about something that the Bible, the inerrant Word of God, teaches that transcends culture as absolute truth, something that you and I should literally be willing to sacrifice for and pay a price if it's demanded. Now, Daniel chapter 3, the scenario, Israel uh, uh, had, been, had been exiled to Babylon. The southern kingdom, Judah, they're there. Uh, remember the story of Daniel? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are teenagers during the exile. So these young men are marched off to a pagan land. But guess what? God blesses them, he prospers them, and they become leaders in the administration of King Nebuchadnezzar. So here's we pick up the story. These men are in levels of government. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was a pagan dictator. 
He, had, he was an absolute monarchy. There was no representative form of government. He was the law. So here's the big guy. He makes a gold statue 90 feet tall. If this sanctuary is 25 feet or so, three times, more than three times the height of the sanctuary, nine feet, uh, uh, nine feet wide of gold. Well, I'd like to have just a couple fingers there. Come on, I mean, no, you could retire and you could have a nice lake house and turkey leases and, and everything else with that. Um, where we go there? Verse 4, a herald shouted out, when you hear the sound of musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship this gold statue. And here's the kicker. Anyone who refuses to obey, uh, to obey will be protected by their constitutional rights. No. You'll be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Think of a fireplace so hot you got to get away from it because it'll scorch you. Some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on these Jews. And there's some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they pay no attention to you, king, to slap in the face. They refuse to serve your gods, and they don't worship the gold statue you've set up. Now, let's say there's, I don't know, four or five hundred of us here this morning in this room. Imagine we're all bowing down, but three people are standing up. Well, that was the scenario, and it was clear they stood out. So here's my question. Why didn't they go along for their safety? Why didn't they just do that? How many know... It, it, you should do this every day. How I many know that's good for your knees? I mean, I mean, it, you, you should. Why didn't they just do that and, and tell themselves it's not a big deal? Nobody's watching. It's not going to matter. I'll lose my pension. I'll lose my job. Uh, uh, people will laugh at me. People will make fun of me. If I don't do this, the king's going to kill me. I believe him. I've watched him before. And, and I'll, be, I'll be able to live a longer time and I can do good on the earth if, I, if I'm alive. So I think I'll bow. They didn't do that. My question to you is why? And I'll tell you very simply, biblical convictions. In the Ten Commandments, some 700 years or so earlier, Moses recorded from Mount Sinai, and the Ten Commandments stayed in the fabric of the nation's conscience. And these commandments are there. The first of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. I suggest to you that one of the reasons that there have been lawsuits and, and, and court filings that have removed the Ten Commandments from our schools and our public buildings is because man doesn't want God to tell him what to do. It is a secular spirit. It is what the Bible would call an antichrist spirit that doesn't want anything to do with God. But God himself said, no other gods but me. Don't make an image in the form of anything in heaven, earth, or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. So here's my question again. What would you do? Because it could be coming to a city near you. And I don't mean a literal fireplace. But Focus on the Family tells us there are over 600 recorded cases in the last few years of, of, of discrimination, of pushback against religious freedom on the local, the state, and the federal level where Christians are having to bring their rights to a court or a rights to a city council, and there is opposition standing against them. Uh, verse 3 of 13, Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage. And he asked them, because again, they're, mad, they're members of his, of his administration. Is it true that you refuse to refuse my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? And they pretty much said, uh, yep. 
Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Listen, king, even if you throw us in the burning furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He's going to rescue us from your power. But even if he doesn't, now here's where, here's, here's where you know about your conviction. It's one thing to say, my conviction is to tell the truth. It's another thing to lose a half-million-dollar contract that the only way you could have gotten is if you'd have lied. It's one thing to say, I have a conviction, but when there's a cost, when there's a price, that's when you know how real your convictions are. Even if God doesn't deliver us, we're not going to serve your gods or worship the gold statues. There has to be things in life that's more important than my comfort, that's more important than my possessions, perhaps even more important than my job. More important could it be than my life? I want to challenge you at a deep level today. How far are you willing to go and stand for your convictions? Now listen, I have a conviction that turkey season should last longer than two weeks in Arkansas. And, uh, I have a conviction that you should be able to shoot more. Are you, are you with me today? Well, that's a preference in life. And, you know, I'm not going to go and boycott the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. And I'm not going to, you know, spray paint the, uh, uh, the truck of the game warden. I'm... But some convictions, your conviction on marriage, is it rooted in the Bible? The husband is to love his wife as, as Christ loved the church. How, how far will I go in, in loving my wife if she goes wayward on me, if whatever happened? How, how deep is my conviction? Well, verse 20, 21, into the fire they went. And in most cases, that would have been the end of them. Look at verse 21, though. They tied them up, threw them in the furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar said, Look! I see four men unbound. In other words, the chains or the ropes had burned off of them. They're walking around in the fire, unharmed, walking around. Can you imagine? They were probably sweating when they got there, but can you imagine them hitting that ground when they threw them in? <laughs> and they're walking around in the fire. The fourth looks like a god. This is what theologians call a Christophany or a theophany, which is a manifestation of God on the earth. Well, verse 26, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out of there. And they come out, not a hair on their heads was singed. I just get close to a fire sometimes, and I, I singe the hair on my arm. Their hair was fine. They didn't smell like smoke. Their clothes weren't burned. And Nebuchadnezzar then shifted praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, Nebuchadnezzar said, praise they defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, if any people speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, tear them limb to limb, their houses will be turned into rubble, and the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Now listen. I cannot guarantee you if you face persecution, this is what's going to happen to you. How many know in the New Testament, Stephen the deacon was stoned and he died. But as they were stoning him for his profession for Christ, the Bible said Stephen recorded as saying, I see Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And it seems like something supernatural was happening in the persecution. And the very next chapter, his witness, when he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. His witness to Saul of Tarsus caused Saul to become Paul, the greatest apostle the world has ever known. 
You see, the Christian life is not just about our comfort. It's not just about God's blessing in our life. But sometimes there's opposition. Sometimes there's hostility. Nobody wants to be persecuted. But if it happens, what choice will we make? Now, if I could jump into the New Testament in modern day, John 15, Jesus told his followers, he told us that we should expect persecution. And Jesus even said, woe unto you if all men speak well of you. So I'm not talking about trying to make people mad at you, and I'm not talking about being a holy Joe, and I'm not talking about being weird, but I'm just saying if you're living the Christian life, it's going to bother people in the world. Let's read it and let's expound on it. You got quiet on me. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. You say, Pastor, come on, now that's a bit of a stretch. Saw a picture yesterday. There was a condominium association, and on their piano, and I believe I'm correct in saying it was designed for older people, on their piano it said, No Christian music, no Bible study in this room. There's crosses in cemeteries across America, some of which were uh, put up with private money in World War I and II, and court cases are demanding that these crosses be taken down. Just this past week in a suburb of Dallas, the McKinney School District, they had had three local high schools having graduation ceremonies in the big Prestonwood Baptist Church as a service to the community. But they have a cross in their sanctuary. And the Freedom From Religion Foundation uh, basically told the school districts, they either have to cover up that cross or you cannot have your service there, your graduation service there. And the church said, we won't cover up the cross. This... And, and, and if you question what I'm saying, this is very well documented today. All my notes are always online. I've got a great little bibliography. You can go check it all out where all this comes from. But, but these are things that's happening across America. And we may be in a, a little bit of a political tilt where America politically is not, is not pushing against Christianity as hard as it was, but it's still around us. Let's continue reading from Jesus, verse 19. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you're no longer part of the world. When I became a Christian, uh, I was 19. I was v- extremely worldly before I joined the military. Uh, and I, I really got saved when I got saved. And I remember going to a party when I got out of boot camp. Now, I didn't have my hair, but I still had my cool bell-bottom pants and my cool shoes. Are, are, are you with me today? I was looking good, and I thought I had two or three hundred friends that were there, and, and, and they were drinking everything under the sun, but I said, no, thank you, I'll have, a, I don't know, a Sprite or something. What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> and after a while, all the people that I thought were my friends didn't want to be with me anymore. It's not because I was preaching at them. I wasn't Holy Joe. I didn't have a Jesus t-shirt on. All I knew is Jesus had changed my life, and I found a different rhythm for my life. Are you with me today? I found a different master to follow, and they didn't want anything to do with me. I didn't push them away. I was not ugly or mean to them. I just said no to what I said yet, used to say yes to. You don't think it'll happen to you? When they're passing around the porn, come on now, when they're passing around the nude shots of their old girlfriends at work, and you say, no thanks. Come on, man, what's wrong with you? You're not a holy roller, are you? Man, look at this woman. And you leave. 
you may not get an invitation to lunch. You go on the job, you go in the workplace, you go to a restaurant, whatever the case is, with friends. Maybe you're on a business luncheon. And Cracker Barrel brings out, you know, the biscuits. And you're, if you're in a Mexican restaurant, do you pray AC or BC? After chips or before chips? You know the pressure I'm talking about. You look around, thank you, Jesus, food. Amen. Did you just say something? Uh-uh. It's pressure. Jesus said, since they persecuted me, naturally they'll persecute you. And they'll do all this to you because of me. Because they've rejected the one who sent me. See, it's not because you and I are holy rollers. It's not because we're better than anybody else. It's because we've set ourselves to follow the Lord, and the light of God is on our life, and people love darkness rather than light. See, the hatred in the, that the world has towards Christians, it's often unfair, it is illogical, and it is unjust. It is spiritually based. There is this demonic opposition that's been in the world since Satan vied for the hearts of men. Let, let me talk briefly, and I'll, I'll go quickly. The reality of modern-day persecution. Christianity Today talks worldwide persecution. And they say there's approximately 215 million Christians being persecuted around the world. If America has somewhere over 300 million, two-thirds of America being hostily treated. Uh, they lose their homes. They lose their jobs. They're martyred because of Christ. North Korea is the most dangerous place to be a Christian in the world. Today, as we're here, recently, a, a soldier from North Korea uh, came across the line, I presume, to South Korea. When they checked him out, he had worms. He was horribly malnourished. If this is the soldier, imagine the tens of thousands of Christians that are in concentration camps, in, in re-education camps in North Korea, the life that, simply because they would not bow. I pray that never happens to us. But if it does, I pray nothing that I have would cause me to hit my knees. Uh, Islamic extremism is the global driver of persecution. Most of the 215 million are, are experiencing the, at the hands of jihad, of hatred. It is not a religion of peace. Come on now. When you are murdering and persecuting people because of their faith, uh, it's estimated that more Christians have been martyred in the last 50 years than the first 300 years of Christianity. Last year, 90,000 believers of Christ were killed around the world. 90,000. The signs tell us 65,000 people live in Texarkana. Let's add that and let's add Genoa and let's add Falk. Uh, let's pick up the Pleasant Grove area and Wake Village and let's, let, let's pick up, uh, where else are we going to go? Let's pick up uh, Liberty Isle area. Let's pick up Redwater. Uh, uh, let's get Maud in the loop there. And you take all those people and they're killed one year because simply... I'm a Christian. Let's go to America, uh, what's happening in America. A book by Mary Eberstadt said it's dangerous to believe. And her subtitle says regular Christians are no longer welcome in American culture. Some of the faithful have paid unexpected prices for their beliefs lately. She cites several. Teacher in New Jersey suspended because she gave, suspended because she gave a student a Bible. 
football coaches we saw in Washington fired because he said a prayer. A fire chief in Atlanta fired because he self-published a book defending Christian moral teaching. What does that mean? He didn't write it as the fire chief. He wrote it as Joe the Citizen. But yet his, the bureaucracy found out and they said, you cannot hold these beliefs and work here. Countless Christians have been persecuted across America for their personal Facebook postings because it didn't fit the edicts from the Human Resources Department. Are you with me today? Now listen, I don't want you to do anything to go out and pick a fight. I want you to be as wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. Come on, listen, we're in the world, but we're not of it. But we're not trying to look a fight. We're not trying to go around poking people in the eye, and we're not saying, hit me and I'll hit you back. But we're in this world. We're simply standing for Christ, caring about people. A teacher caring for a young boy's soul, and I think I'm correct to say, is that he asked for the Bible. A Marine, court, a Marine was court-martialed when she put a Bible verse on a yellow sticky note above her desk. Court-martialed. Anti-Christian activists hurl smears like bigot and hater at Americans who hold traditional beliefs about marriage. And anti-abortion Christians are accused of waging a war on women. They have co-opted the language and they have made people that love and they've turned them into haters. Some of the most loving people I've ever met in my life are Christian people. Now there's, come on now, there's some people that do dumb things. There's some people that make mistakes. But the vast majority of Christian people, listen now, I'm talking about born-again, spirit-filled people that love God, that are not just going to church, that love Jesus. They love people irrespective of the color of their skin. They love people irrespective of their gender. They care about people irrespective of their sexual orientation. Their hands are extended to love because they are, realize that we're all sinners in need of the grace of God. But yet at the same time, if you speak the truth in love, you're called a hater. It's interesting today how the language has changed. A little good news on, uh, uh, that's happened as of late. Uh, our president has taken a strong stand for religious freedom. Uh, a quote uh, from, from Mr. Trump, Faith breathes life and hope in our world. We must diligently guard, preserve, and cherish this unalienable right. In other words, a right that cannot be taken away. Now, this president is the most controversial president of my lifetime. Uh, you understand? And, and I'm not speaking today in support of him to defend him or, or to attack him. But I'm simply saying this. He's doing some things. His administration is doing some very deliberate things to protect religious freedom in America. I, I had four long pages that I had downloaded. And if I could just give you just a couple. One to do with an executive orders, executive orders to the court system. And three policies in the uh, Department of Justice. But think about this now. And these are, of course, just from a president. Let me know what one president does. The next one can undo. This is why it's so important that we vote with, for, for people who have biblical values because the judges that they appoint will outlive them. And the judges is where this eventually ends up. But let me, in executive order, uh, it was in May of last year, uh, greatly enhancing religious freedom and ensuring that religious Americans and their organizations wouldn't be forced to violate their religious beliefs or shut their doors. This came up around a, 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 an insurance mandate, of course. Our, our insurance, our nationalized health care that we had or perhaps have, I don't know where it is now, but, but it, it, it demanded that abortion, providing for abortion, be a part of it. And the Little Sisters of the Poor, a Catholic charity, said, well, we're not going to do that. This violates a deeply held religious belief. 
and they were basically going to have to shut their doors. Many Catholic adoption agencies have had to shut their doors across America because they believed in the traditional view of marriage. And for what the, the world court system said is if that's what you believe, then no more kids coming through your system. It didn't matter about the welfare of the children. What mattered the most is if the policies fit the culture of America. Can, can we speak this candidly this morning? This is the nation that we live in today, and these are not bad, evil people on the other side, and they're not my enemies. I mean, the Bible says we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. The people that are on the other side fighting for these things that I'm talking about today are just as lost as I was one day. Come on now. They are just as lost as I used to be. Uh, anyway, so, so uh, rules to help them. Churches were forbidden up until recently from being able to receive government-sponsored aid, for example, Hurricane Harvey, to help out people in a crisis. That's been reversed. Uh, in the court system, they've, uh, his administration has stood for students that were ineligible for scholarships because they were in a religious school, stood for the right of a baker to operate his bakery in accordance with his religious belief. And here's a really big one. This recently came out October 2017. Our Attorney General, uh, Jeff Sessions, is a dedicated Christian man. Uh, he has come up, I think it's 22 policies, to ensure religious freedom is a priority throughout the federal government. The Department of Justice issued, I'm sorry, 20 principles of religious liberty to guide their litigation strategy to protect religious freedom and the right of conscience. What does that mean? Throughout the federal government now and our judiciary, there are rules in place, placed there to protect the rights of Christian citizens. Come on. If a nurse is in a hospital and she said, I don't want to be a party to an abortion, I don't want to participate in the abortion, she doesn't have to be and shouldn't have to be afraid of losing her job because of a deeply held religious belief. Are you with me today? If a pharmacist, if a pharmacist doesn't want to distribute the morning after pill, because it, 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 it takes the life of a child because he or she believes that life begins at conception. And there's another pharmacist that can easily fill that need. He shouldn't be required or she shouldn't be required as a pharmacist to fill that prescription. Why? Because it's, it, is, it is a freedom of conscience. And these were, were heralded by the founders, the one that gave us this nation. Uh, anyway, those are just some things that are happening out in the world. Uh, but I want to close with this. And I want to make this statement, God is pleased with us when we stand for biblical convictions. Uh, let me show you a little picture here. This young man, you can find him easily on the news now. This just happened a few days ago. His name is Luke Engel. Uh, he's in a class, a class, a class at a, uh, one of the universities in Pennsylvania. And ironically, it's not a Christian school, but it's called Christianity 481, Self, Sin, and Salvation. Now, that sounds like a pretty good class, doesn't it? But in the classroom environment, the teacher had talked about multigenders, and he said, and the right of the individual to choose, as opposed to gender being assigned by God at birth. He said, no, there's two genders, male and female. Now, he looks, I don't know, 19, 20. She kicked him out of the class. Now, think about it. Universities used to be the place of tolerance for freedom of speech, you remember Berkeley in the 60s? You know, all that was going on, and you could say or do anything. You could burn the campus down. You could riot all in the name of free speech. But now, this is the problem. 
is biblical speech. This is the world that we live in today. So what does Jesus think about that? I suggest Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said this, and I'll close. And it's the Beatitudes. Jesus said, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus said, God blesses you when people mock you or they laugh at you, when they persecute you, when they lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Can I say that again? Jesus said, now listen, it's not fun. It's not going to make you happy. Nobody, and I hope it never happens to any of us. But Jesus said, if it does, they'll laugh at you, persecute you, lie about you, and say evil about you. What did Jesus say in verse 12? I want you to say it with me. Be happy about it, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today? And I want us to pray for America. And let me say again, both my position and the position of our church is we love everybody. Let me say it again. We love everybody. Let me say it again. We love everybody. I think one of the greatest testimonies to our church congregation is the fact that many races are represented here, that gender is not an issue, that we love people irregardless of their sexual orientation. But in all of that, we still stand for biblical truth. We believe that there's a God and one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But until that day, come on now, don't bow to the idol. It's my prayer you never get in that situation. It's my prayer you're never pigeonholed. It's my prayer that you'll be smart enough to get around it. Your lawyer can help you get around it or it'll just never knock on your door. But if it does, are you going to bow or are you going to stand? Because it is so possible that God could use you as a turnaround. It's so possible that God could get a hold of the nation like he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they stood for God and then God stood for them and a testimony was proclaimed through all the earth. Lord, today we bow before you because we do believe there is one God represented in three persons revealed to the world in the person of Christ the Son. And Jesus, we bow before you and no other God. Today, Lord, we do want to pray for people on the other side of these issues I've talked about. People all created in the image of God, people having value or worth irrespective of what they believe, people to whom John 3.16 was written, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. Help us, Lord, never go looking for a fight, not trying to pick an argument. Lord, help us never to demean anyone, pick on anyone, never bully anyone. Help us love people, Lord, that are in the midst of the quarrel. But through all of this, God, let us speak the truth in love and let us have the courage to stand for our convictions. Why don't you just reach your hands out to heaven right now and just say, Lord, help me be a person of conviction. Help me be, as the Bible says, wise as a serpent but gentle as a dove. Help me know what to do in a world that is often hostile to the truth of Christ. I ask you today, Lord, to fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might have wisdom, that we might have courage, and that we might have a fresh anointing of the love of God to reach a culture, Lord, that's turned her back on you. 
We pray, God, across America today that there would be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that people would be saved left and right all over America. God, I want to pray particularly today for the Freedom From Religion Foundation, all the attorneys and secretaries and accountants and litigators, everyone that works there that seems to handpick cases across America and threatens this school district and that school district and this commissioner's court and, and this place and that place. God, would you just reveal yourself to them just like you revealed yourself to us? Would you show them the love of God? Would you reveal to them that there indeed is a God of heaven and the Bible is indeed his word? But I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would touch and soften the heart of every man, woman, and child in this great nation. We pray particularly for our brothers and sisters that are persecuted today. I pray particularly today for those that are in North Korea. Would you please help the negotiations that are going on now not only affect nuclear weapons, but may it, may it find release for our brothers and sisters there. Would you help every Christian, Lord, every little baby that's lost her daddy because daddy wouldn't, wouldn't deny Jesus? Please, Lord, come in this world and let us be aware of what's happening and let us make a difference in it all. In Jesus' name. Hey, let's close with this last prayer. We'll have one song. And I ask you, unless you have an emergency, just wait till the song's over before you go. Because now's a time where many people will make some kind of step to Christ. Maybe you're here today. We're going to have a prayer time that's very general. If you need prayer for anything, we'd be honored to pray for you. If you're here today and maybe something, this message has touched you. Maybe, maybe you're having a hard time with one of your convictions. We'd be delighted to pray with you. We'll pray for family, friends, whatever it may be. But the most important prayer we'd like to have right now is, is if you're here in your own personal relationship with God, is not where it needs to be. If I would ask you the question, friend, if you were to die today, are you certain you'd go to heaven or hell? Maybe honestly would say, I'm not sure. Can I tell you, friend, you can be sure. Sadly, yesterday, one of my dear friends, an elderly lady, Miss Edith Osborne, died. I'm very sad because of that. She knew it was coming for a while, but she's gone, and for all eternity. The Bible says that where she'll be for all eternity is affected by what kind of relationship she had with Christ on this earth. And I wonder today if you have received God's forgiveness. I wonder if today, if you know in your heart that Christ is real and you've given your life to him. You can. I was raised in church, but church won't get you to heaven. But a man, a Gideon, gave me a little Bible and told me this. I'll never forget it. He said, Jesus could change my life if I'd invite him in my heart. I didn't really know what it means. It's even kind of hard to explain now. But in a Navy boot camp on August 15th, 1976, I put my, head over my, my, my pillow over my head and I said, Jesus, I want you to forgive me for my sins. I'm tired of living for myself. And I want to start living for you. And my prayer was something like that. But I'm telling you, friend, my life has never been the same. And it's the best decision I ever made in my life. Jesus is real. And he has a plan for you. He did his part on the cross when he paid the penalty for your sins on the cross. He simply asked you now to receive him as your Savior. So when we begin to sing this song, if you feel right now that I'm talking to you, it's not me. That's the Holy Spirit talking through me. That's God's way of saying Come across the line and put your trust in Christ. You'll never be the same. So as we begin to sing right now, Pastor Nick, our prayer team is coming to the front. They're going to line up here. If you need prayer for anything, they'll pray for you. But most importantly, if you need to make a step to Christ, we'll meet you at the cross. I love you and thanks for being here.